You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. If y'all ever go to Thackerville, Oklahoma, don't ever ask anybody over there if they know Dr. John Holler. Especially if it's any of my family, my, mother, my mother's brothers or anybody like that. They call me John Boy. I didn't like that very much. Told my Uncle Wayne, Wayne, I have a doctorate. I know John Boy. I'm proud of you. Okay. That's what happens when somebody really, really knows you. And it's good to be known. It's good to have relationships. The reason why Chris Shields is here is not because he's my student. I have a thousand students. The reason Chris Shields is here is because his daddy and I are father and son. In a spiritual way. In a spiritual way. He was the first... African-American that came into my life in that way. I'd had black people in my church, but I never had a guy tie into me and say, you're my father in faith. And it happened during Promise Keepers when he and I both had made vows to reach across the racial lines to be friends. And we did. This boy now calls me Papa or Grandpa because I'm his dad's father in faith. That's why I drove an hour and a half up here today because he knows me and he knows I know him. This is what happens when relationships are formed. And when you reform relationships, that's how you can overlook stuff that you don't like about people. Yeah, All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, black people are that way. No, 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 no. Stop that. Make a few friends in the black community. Oh, you know, you know, how, you know how them Choctaw, up here, you know how them Choctaw are. How are they? Do you know any of them by name? Come on now. Yeah, That's good. Are you hearing me? Yeah, yeah, up here we all know some of them by name because we all are them by name. You, you get what I'm saying? Get to know somebody. That'll help you get rid of your racism, which is a divisive thing if there ever was something. I have to address these things because this is a big hot-button issue in our community, in our land. Somebody has to stand up and say, this is nonsense. We have to stop this someplace. And killing will never make it go away. Love makes it go away. Love, come on, somebody say, love makes this go away. Amen. Thank you for being here, Chris. You honor me with your presence here. All right, let's take our Bibles. We're in Isaiah. Y'all know Isaiah. He's that guy that kept talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. 500 years before Jesus came, Isaiah kept talking about him. Milepost 23. We are working our way through the Bible, finding the most important verse in each of the, each of the 66 books. We're taking a route called Route 66 through the Bible. You know, there's a highway going through America called Route 66. 
So I thought that's kind of interesting. We've got 66 books of the Bible. We're going to take that route and go through it and try to pick out the most important verse. Now listen to me. Every preacher thinks a different verse is most important in that book. So I picked 66, and I know I'm right. So uh, <laughs> this is going to be the 66 we're going to look at. But Isaiah is called the Messianic prophet. All the prophets had some Messianic tendencies, almost all. But Isaiah, by theologians, is called the Messianic prophet because over and over in lengthy passages, he's talking about the coming Messiah. And Isaiah chapter 53 is the pinnacle one. It's the pinnacle one that talks to us about this Messianic man, this, this, this anointed one, Jesus. He is so graphic the way it talks about him. You can't, you can't know the story of Jesus Christ and not know that this is who he's talking about. It's so poignant to the point of Jesus, especially his death, his punishment, his, his agony that he went through, his compassion and his passion. Verse 5 is a principal verse. I want to just read it by itself. He was wounded for our transgressions. The gospel picks this up and says, he, Christ died for our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. Or the chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we not are hoping to be, not one day might be, we are healed. Your healing was paid for the same time that your sin was paid for. This talks about our transgressions, talks about our iniquities, talks about our peace and our healing. It's two separate things that went on, especially right here. Two big things went on. Jesus was bruised and God laid your sin upon Him so that God could say your sin died when Jesus died. Amen. He reckoned him to be sin for you. So that when he died, God could say sin has died. Amen. Woo, that's awesome. Amen. He wasn't just dealing with your sin particularly. He was dealing with every sin that everybody would ever commit. He went right back to the Garden of Eden and dealt with Adam's sin and Eve's sin. Dealt with their sin and that was a retroactive thing. An explosion of sin happened when Adam sinned. An explosion of righteousness happened when Jesus was made righteous. Amen. Amen. As surely as sin, the sin of Adam made us all sinners, the righteousness of Jesus makes us all righteous. Amen. Or else you believe that wrong is stronger than right. Anybody here believe wrong is stronger than right? No, no, no. no. Right is stronger than wrong. And righteousness is stronger than sin. Amen. So you're far more forgiven than you ever were away. Amen. You're far more forgiven than you ever were away. Yes. Amen. Amen. I uh, have put this to the test many times. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that you don't get attacked because you walk by faith. I walk by faith all my life. Most of my, most of my life. I've been attacked so many times it ain't even funny. I've been attacked this last year like I never thought I would be attacked. 
but I'm coming out of it by faith, walking one step at a time by faith, coming out of this thing. Yeah. Are you hearing me? You're watching it happen, aren't you? Y'all yeah. saw me bad, didn't you? Yeah. Coming out of it. But I'm walking it out by faith, not using any drugs. I'm getting some help. I'm getting some help otherwise, but I'm not, getting, I'm not using drugs. I'm tired of taking drugs. Anybody here tired of taking drugs? <laughs> Take them if you need them. Pray over them, though. Use your faith. Pray over them. If you take, are you hearing me? Just like you take, pray over your banana before you eat it. Before you pray over your taco before you eat it. You pray over that pill before you take it. But I have a friend out in West Texas who I went to see yesterday. He reminded me of a couple of times, a couple of stories in their life. He said, one time, Pastor John, I had planter's warts. He said I had at least a dozen of them. He's a nurse now, a registered nurse, and he knows what he's talking about. He said I had planter's warts on the bottom of each foot, about a dozen of them on each foot. He said one planter's wart is painful. He said I had a dozen of them on each, on each foot. He said I couldn't walk. He said I went to church, and you got down on your hands and knees. I don't even remember this. He just told me. He said you got down on your hands and knees and laid your hands on my feet and prayed. He said, and you know, I got up the next morning my, and I noticed my feet weren't hurting. Put my shoes on and went to, went to work. My feet weren't hurting at all. But I pulled my shoes off again. He said, I noticed that the warts were still there, but my feet weren't hurting. He said, I got home that evening. My feet started itching. They were itching, itching, itching. He said, I started, so I started scratching them. And these planters warts started coming off. They started just coming off. He said, my feet itch so bad. He said, I scratched them and scratched all these planters warts off, not one drop of blood. He said, they all just came right off. He said, and all, all that was left was perfect baby skin on the bottom of my feet. He said, they've been that way for 30 years, still today. Amen. 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 Your healing was bought and paid for. Your healing, now, who cares how it comes? Do you care how it comes? Just as long as it long as it comes. Now, we don't care how it comes. If a doctor helps you, that's fine. But Jesus bought and paid for your health so you can live in health, so you can fight the enemy. And faith is your fight, fighting mechanism. It's a shield to keep you from losing your heart while you're fighting with that sword. Amen. Amen. So uh, he told me another story. He said, he said then one day when we, after we got ma married and we're pastoring a church, he said, then we got word that our second-born child had a problem. The doctor looked at him and said he is hydrocephalic, has hydrocephalus in the mother's womb. And he told the gynecologist, the baby doctor, I guess it was, what, what's that? OBGYN. Told him, you need to, this expert, this, this uh, what, are they, what are they called, radiologist, he told him, you need to extract that fluid, and he'd stick a needle in there and pull that fluid out of that baby's head. Dr. Gillis said, I don't think I'm going to do that. He said, you're standing for a, a malpractice suit if you don't. He said, I don't think I'm going to do that right now. He said, I'm against this decision. He said, I know this family. Dr. Gillis said, I know this family. You don't know them like I know them. I'm going to give them time to pray about this and talk it over. He said, I'm against this, and if this goes bad, and you know it can, if this goes bad, he said, I will report you to the AMA myself. That's what the, the radiologist told him. 
Dr. Gillen said, he was an older guy, he didn't care. He said, well, okay, fine, I'm still going to do it. I'm going to give this family a chance to pray. So the radiologist consented and uh, came back two weeks later and he did another test. He comes in there and you know what happened. In that two weeks, they brought, they brought her to church and I laid my hands on her tummy and prayed for her. I don't touch every woman's tummy. <laughs> but I've known this girl since she was 14 or 15, you know, and I laid my hands on that baby's tummy. And besides, I knew something, I knew a secret. They were planning on naming this kid John. Aww. John Timothy. My name. They're naming him after me. I said, ain't no baby named after me going to be sick, praise God. So I laid my hands on her tummy, and I commanded that baby to live in Jesus' name without, 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 without a sick bone in his body. They went back to that radiologist, and he looked at that, and he said, I must have read the, 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 uh, the, the reports wrong. He said, I must have, read, must, have, must have made a mistake. And he didn't want to report himself to the AMA. <laughs> he didn't make a mistake. God fixed what was wrong. Amen. God can fix what was wrong. What's wrong? Now, now at the end of this service, Miss Ann's going to be here, and our elders are going to be available to pray over you, pray for you. And we're going to ask God to heal everybody in the building today. I want you to inspect your body. Be thinking about what you need fixed. Are you hearing me? There's something you need fixed. You've got a tooth that's bad. We need something fixed. We don't arrive at a moment like this in the Bible and not just not respond to it. God is able. Now, I've, I've said this many times. We've talked all, all through the years now about God's ability to heal. I believe in God's ability to heal, God's willingness to heal. God has already paid the price for your healing. There's no need to, to put it off. Amen. Praise God. John Timothy Francis is a big old strapping man of God today, living for the Lord, a worship leader with a wife. And how many kids does he have? Huh? Two kids. Amen. They couldn't get pregnant for the, with their first baby. They, they tried and tried, just could not, could not conceive. I was out there in their home, and uh, they said, Pastor John, will you lay your hands on this, this girl and, so she can conceive? I said, sure, I'm good at that, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> laid my hands on her. Next thing I know, they said, she's, she's, she's conceived, she's pregnant. They've been trying for a couple of years. It happened just like that. Let me tell you something. If you love life and you love people, you won't be abortion crazy. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You believe in life. You believe in women having babies. This is New Testament Pauline doctrine. I will that the younger women marry and bear children. Now we want to marry just for sex. So you don't have to get a date on Friday night. I'm not being coarse. I'm telling you how the world is. Get married and have some babies for Pete's sake. I was telling somebody this one time in a dedication. I mean, in a, in a dedication of their marriage. I said, I said, just get started having babies. Israel and Whitney don't need to be preached at. <laughs> so y'all, Casey and Paris don't need, don't need to be encouraged. They're helping grow the church, praise God. We just have two big families in here, you know. <laughs> Amen. But I was, I was encouraging young women to have babies. Listen, Islam is outgrowing us just by the birth rate. Right. Christians need to have babies. Yeah. Every color of baby in a Christian family should be born. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. We should be having big families again. Yeah. Five and up. Yeah. 
I heard three people say yeah. Amen. I mean, what was God thinking? What was God thinking? He made a man to be able to create about a million reproductive cells every hour of the day. What was he thinking? Was he thinking one or two kids? He made a woman able to conceive every year and have a baby every single year. He made her able. Did evolution do that or did God do that? Listen to me. You don't want to hear this, but you're going to hear it. Part of God's plan of prosperity is to give you lots of kids. The devil has told you that kids bring poverty. The devil has told you kids bring poverty. The devil told you that. That's not the reason people are poor. Well, overpopulated nations are poor. No, that's not the problem with China and India. Let me tell you something. If you think that overpopulation brings poverty, tell me this. Why do all the farm boys out in the countryside wind up in the big city? Because there's money where people are. The problem with China and India is they've always worshipped the wrong gods. Starving children on the streets and big old fat cows walking around. Kill a cow and eat the thing, would you? Feed some children. <laughs> 700 million holy cows in that, in that country, sacred cows in that, in that country. Are you kidding me? What are you worshiping? Worshiping animals over, and you think that pop, population brings that poverty? The wrong mindset about who God is what, is what brings Ooh. poverty because God wants to prosper you. Yeah. Jesus bled from his brow. Yeah. God said, from the sweat of your brow, you're going to earn a living, Adam. And from the sweat of Jesus' brow came sweat and blood to redeem us from the curse of poverty. I got off my subject, but I had to say it. I want your faith engaged here. If I can engage your faith here, you believe this, this will start happening to you. doesn't matter where you are. Don't, don't, don't leave there and say, well, Pastor John made me feel bad because I got a low-paying job. No, 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 stop that. That's not my intent. My intent is to help you pull you up from wherever you are in life. My intent is to make you see yourself higher and bigger and better than that. Because if I can get you identifying with something above you, you'll wind up there. And I only do that because I love you. I'm not trying to scold you. I love you. I like you. You know I love you because the Bible makes me love you. But I actually like you. He didn't tell me I had to like you, but I like you. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah. Isaiah. Jeremiah. My post 24. Look here. Isaiah leans right into Jeremiah 29, 11. Y'all know this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. I'm going to say something I think will shock you today. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected, an expected end. The Hebrew for that last verse, last piece, that last phrase, I should say, is to give you a hope and a future. To give you an expected end. A hope and a future expectation of a good outcome, a hope, and a future. That was always the Old Testament thought of God. In the Old Testament, he thought good thoughts toward them, 
but it didn't do the good thoughts. It didn't act it out yet. In the new covenant, you get better than good thoughts about a hope and a future. In the new covenant, you get a faith that's right now. In the new covenant, God has taken action. And more than thinking about good things for you, He gave you Jesus. God once had thoughts of peace, then He took action and gave us Jesus and created a covenant of peace. I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of peace, He says. Thoughts of peace. Now God is no longer just thinking about peace. God has made peace now. This is powerful. One of the most important verses in the entire Bible. I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of peace and not evil. Thoughts for good and not evil. God was always thinking good for us, but now He's done good for us, praise God. His peaceful, peaceful thoughts of the Old Testament have become a reality of new peace in the New Testament. Have become a reality of peace in the New Covenant. Hope for a future reality in the Old Covenant has become faith for a present reality in the New Covenant. Wow. Hope, let me read it again. Hope for a future reality in the Old Covenant has become faith for a present reality in the New Covenant. Amen. Hebrews 11 one says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That never happened in the Old Testament and under the law. It happened in the book of Genesis and then you may remember I teach you that the, old, that the Old Covenant started in the book of Exodus. Genesis is not in the, under the law. Genesis, people walk by faith, just like you do. But now, in Genesis, when Abraham was walking by faith, he was, he was justified by that faith. He was made righteous. But you all know he was not saved by grace. He was saved by mercy. His faith, by his faith, God considered him righteous but he did not go to heaven when he died. Abraham went to hell. But it didn't go into the fire. There were two different places in hell that we, we learned about when Jesus told the story of the rich man, who, rich man and Lazarus who went, both went into hell. But, but Lazarus went to a different place in hell. He went to a place they called paradise in the comfort of Abraham's bosom. What was Abraham's bosom? Faith. He was there with the father Abraham, and his, his rich, the rich guy was right, right across a big canyon, a big gulf, in a lake of fire, screaming in torment. He could see him and talk to him across there, but they couldn't reach each other. There was a boundary set, but they could see and talk to one another, and they did. Jesus said they did. Listen to me. Abraham escaped the fire, but he didn't get to go to heaven until Jesus came. When Jesus died, he died as a sinner, and he did not shoot off straight back to heaven. He went to that place. As a sinner, he had to die and go to hell too. And in hell, he found Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He found Isaiah. Isaiah must have stood up and said, I told you he'd come. <laughs> must have stood up and said, this is the one I told you all about. I wrote all about him. This is him. And he led them all, led, he took them as his captives. He took the captivity of the devil and took them as his own captives and led them out of, out of hell that day. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. You see, because that's the day 
Abraham was saved by grace. You're never going to have to go to that place because the door has been opened in heaven. And listen to me. There's not just a God sitting on the throne in heaven. There is a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne of Almighty God. Hear me. If a man is seated on the throne, men are still welcomed in. Men can come in as long as there's a man on the throne. And ladies and gentlemen, that man on the throne is called the firstborn from the dead. I have a firstborn in my family. His name is James Anthony Holler. Tony, my big brother. I like him. I used to hate him, but I like him now. <laughs> He's the firstborn. You know what the firstborn means? Why would you call a guy firstborn? You don't call an only child firstborn. You don't call an only child a firstborn, do you? You call him the only child. Jesus was called the only child in the Gospels, but after he rose from the dead, he's, from then on he's called the firstborn from the dead. And who are the other borns? Who are the other children in the family? Come on, you and me, praise God. He's not, he's not just a man seated on the throne. He's your elder brother seated on the throne. And my elder brother can find fault in me like nobody else can. But nobody fights for me like he does. Amen. Nobody fight for me like he does. I, one time I was on the school ground. And a, kid, a bigger kid than me was trying to fight me and hurt me. And I was about to pick something up and hit him with it. I really was, because that's what my daddy told me to do. He said, if he's bigger than you, get, pick, up something, pick up an equalizer. I didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know what an equalizer meant. I just knew it meant a stick. And I was looking around for something to hit this kid with. And all of a sudden, this kid stops talking to me, and he starts looking up over my head. And I feel a shadow. Look around. My big brother's behind me. I said, what you got to say now, big boy? <laughs> Kid didn't want to fight. Never, never would even talk to me hardly after that. Never knew when my, when my elder brother was going to show up. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I told you I loved him. There's a God in heaven who has a shadow cast across you. Amen. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Amen. Amen. Hope for a future reality in the old covenant has become faith for a present reality in the new covenant. I see something in the, in the book of Acts that they understood that we didn't, we, most of us don't understand. Jesus never told His disciples to pray for the sick. Never once. In the book of Acts, you cannot find one prayer for the sick. Did you know this? That's why in so many places they pray, for, they pray for people to get healed and they die anyway. Is, is it quiet in here or is it just me? Are you hearing a turned up? No, they didn't. They didn't. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you know what they did? They spoke to sicknesses and disease. 
They spoke to people's bodies. They said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. They commanded things to happen. Come on, that's, part of, that's where we often go wrong. We don't do it the way they did it. We stop begging God to do what he's already predisposed to do. That's like getting on the bus. Mr. Bus Driver, would you do your best to get me there safely today? You don't have to ask him. That, that's his job. That's his job. Did you pay the fare? Yeah, I paid the fare. Then I'll get you there safe. That's my job. You don't have to beg me to do my job. You don't have to beg your father to do his job to heal you. Amen. Did you pay the fare? Yeah, I believe. Well, then you're okay. If you're in faith, you're okay. Mile post 25. Let's move down the road a little bit. Lamentations. Oh, boy, I had a hard time with this one. Brother Larry, do you ever read Lamentations? I didn't like it very much. I got in there and got lost one time and I thought I never would smile again. <laughs> had to, almost had to get, get counseling for depression. <laughs> Lamenting, Lamentations. And if it was Lamentations of Ezekiel, it wouldn't have been so bad. If it had been the Lamentations of Isaiah, it wouldn't have been so bad. But the Lamentations of, of the weeping prophet Jeremiah, oh my, my, my. This guy knew how to be a bummer. <laughs> Debbie Downer. Except he was a he was a Jerry Downer. Jeremiah. One of God's greatest. Because he saw the plight and the sinfulness and the degree of debauchery and unholiness and and all kinds of lewdness and all kinds of un um, Israeli acts. You know what I mean? Non-covenantal acts. Having uh, uh, abominations of false gods and all such as that. And it tormented the man till they, till they put him in prison. And he was in prison he said, alright, I said I'm not going to talk anymore about this. I said I will never speak again in your name. Then he says, but your word was like a fire shut up in my bones so that I had to speak and it got myself in more trouble. But then hear what he says in, in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22 and 3. We have to see both these verses as one. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. As bad as Israel had turned during Jeremiah's time, he knew that God didn't turn. I have little hope in America surviving like we know, like the America we know. I have little hope in that. I don't really even care. I don't mean to be, be offensive here, I'm just saying. What I care about is the kingdom of God surviving in the earth. Because our kingdom is not this kingdom. Our king is not that king. Our king is the king of glory, 
Now unto the King eternal, immortal, in, invisible, the only wise God. Amen. Amen. To Him be glory forever. Amen. So if the Lord's mercies that, are, that, that keep us from being consumed and His compassions fail not, and His, and his great is His faithfulness and new every morning, then you're in good shape. I've come to tell you there's hope even in the worst situations. As long as God doesn't turn on you, you always have a way out. And God will never turn on you because He never breaks covenant. Amen. Others have broken covenant with you. Anybody ever broken covenant with you? I've had it happen. Had people sign their name on the contract and never come through. Had one guy buy a pickup truck for me one time. Gave me $400 for a truck that was worth about $1,600. He said, I'll pay you $400 a month for the next three or four months. I said, that sounds good. I never saw the guy or the truck again. I was stupid. He took my truck and didn't pay me. I found out that men will break covenant. Men will lie to get what they want. But God will never break covenant with you. He, his mercies are new every morning. I uh, mentioned the Choctaw this morning because of something I read about them recently. In the 1830s, Andrew Jackson started the, the Choctaw, or the five civilized tribes they called them, removal. And it was a Choctaw chieftain who named it that removal, that Indian relocation. He called it the Trail of Tears. It was a Choctaw man that, that named it the Trail of Tears. For those of you who may not know, Durant is the capital of the Choctaw. I come from Chickasaw country, and Ardmore is its capital. Tahlequah is the capital for the Cherokee, and so forth. In 1836, uh, 37, 38, the Choctaw were moved here. About a third of them died on the way here. Anywhere from a quarter to half of those people died on the way here. Terrible thing that the American government did to the, our Indian people. I am one-eighth Cherokee, so I identify with them a lot. I've got the teeth to prove it. <laughs> Went to an orthopedic surgeon one time, not an orthopedic, uh, what is ortho? What? Yeah, oral surgeon. He was a surgeon. He removed my wisdom teeth and a couple of jaw teeth and working on me. He came and looked at my red, my red mustache and beard. My blue eyes and said, you're, you're American Indian, aren't you? I said, yeah, but not, not many people know by looking at me. I said, how did you know? He said, I can tell by those teeth. <laughs> those are Indian teeth. Uh, made me so proud. <laughs> made me feel proud. In, in Ireland, they had a famine. The great potato, Irish potato famine of 1846 and 7. It went on for a few years, but that was the epicenter of it. 
1846 and 47. Ten years after the Trail of Tears. The Choctaw got together heard about it. You know how they heard about it? Because the Cherokee's first president was John Ross. John Ross was one-eighth, just like me, Cherokee. He was the rest Irish. John Ross was an Irishman that loved the Cherokee because he was part Cherokee. And word got out amongst the tribes that Ireland, Ireland was in trouble. And the Choctaw here in our part of the world took up $170 and sent it over to Pardon me. Sent $170 to Ireland to help them in their famine. That was like $10,000 nowadays. And it was all the money they could scrape together. But they wanted to say, we're with you. We know what, we know what it's like to suffer. We know what it's like to starve. Their hearts went out to the people of Ireland. And to this day, you go to Cork, England. Cork, Cork Ireland, I mean, to a little town called Middleton, I think it is. It's right in the county of Cork. There's a great big monument of eagle, nine eagle feathers. Big monument there to the Choctaw Nation in Oklahoma, in Ireland. Because somebody said, we're not going to let you suffer alone. There's a God in heaven who came, saw your suffering. He said, I'm not going to let you suffer alone. I'm going to do something about your plight. And the, the, the thing about him was, he gave more than $170. He gave more than anything you could imagine. He gave the prize and jewel of heaven to, to secure your right to live. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Choctaw people are an amazing people. I'm glad to be a part of this family. Thank you, Jesus. Take your Bible and turn to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36. I'm finished with this. Are you still with me today? Yes. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. I have, to have two verses because it doesn't make sense without the other one. This is my post 26 from Ezekiel 36 and 26. It says, A new heart. Also will I give you, you all know this verse, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Now what does that mean? He's going to take a stony heart out of your chest and give you a flesh heart? Hmm. Not exactly. He's talking about something else. He's talking about, he said, you will keep my statutes. When they had a stony heart, they had a heart full of the law. The edicts were written in stone. The Ten Commandments were written on stone tablets. Their hearts were full of stone, stony hearts. But they were not keeping the statutes. Even though they had the law make their hearts hard, they were not keeping the statutes. Listen, listen to this. Verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. 
What was that heart of flesh that he gave us, I wonder? Look, look at that. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15. Can you turn there re real quick? Ephesians 2, 15. Listen to this. I love this. Jesus having abolished in his flesh. So the fleshly heart that God's going to give us is not one of sinister and evil flesh, but a man called Jesus in the flesh, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, the stony heart, contained in ordinances for to make in himself of two, of twain, one new man, so making peace. What that means is God saw your plight, that your heart was full of stone. Men tend to, tend to make every good thing a religious ritual. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. The Lord's Supper that we celebrate is not, we don't call it the Eucharist because that's a, that's a religious word. And it's made to be a ritual when you call it the Eucharist. When you call it the Lord's Supper, you're, you're saying, wait a minute, it's something else. It's not a ritual. Something is really happening. If you read that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 slowly, you'll see. He says, drink and eat of this bread and drink this blood, drink this wine. And when you do it, remember me. Remember me. That means two things. That means your relationships in the body should be put back together. He said, my bones are all out of joint. When he was hanging on that cross, his bones were out of joint. They weren't broken, but they were, he was being pulled apart. They say that men have been, had limbs torn off from these kinds of things happening to them, depending on where they drove in the nails. His bones were all out of joint. Dismembered, as it were. And when you take communion, he says, you remember me. Put me back together. Remember the body of Christ. It's powerful. Think about the loved ones that are in this room that you are a part of when you take communion. And he says, if you do this, your body will come back together. You live to be old. I won't live to be old. I won't live when the next pastor takes over here and sit out there and shake my head no when he's wrong. <laughs> I just lost a couple of candidates, I think. They don't want Well, I was thinking about it, but I ain't going to do it now, holler. <laughs> won't live to be old and torment the devil. And the Bible says if you take communion with the worthiness, that means not just thinking you are worthy, but knowing that Christ has made you worthy. Amen. Then you can receive healing for your body. Amen. We've come full circle today back to healing for our bodies. I want to ask you to bow your heads, please. Thank you, Jesus, for this life. Thank you for your will to heal. Thank you for your willingness to take out of us a, a heart of stone through Jesus when Jesus came in the flesh, fulfilling the, the mandates of the law 
and making us right with you. Thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, I bless you today. I bless these, your people. And I ask now, Father, that you will move by your Spirit in this house to effect healing for everyone that needs healing. But before we go there, I want to say to you who are here with your heads bowed, if you come to this place today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's where it all starts. You need to know that He loves you. And the gospel is simple. It's not difficult at all. It comes down to one thing. One, one statement of three events. Christ died for our sins, according to the Bible. And He was buried, took your sins away. And He rose again the third day, according to the Bible. That means He did all He did for you. His death was for your sins. His burial was for your sins. His resurrection is for your sins. So that you can be right with God. He didn't have to deal with sickness at a different time. He didn't have to deal with poverty at a different time. He dealt with, sickness. He dealt with sin. Because that's how sickness and poverty and every other evil thing got into our lives. Was through sin. So all Jesus did was dealt with sin. He said he was taking that beating for our healing at the same time. So if you're here today and you say, I'd like to be saved. I'd like to know that if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. And you, ne you never made that, that choice with Christ. I want you to raise your hand and say, pray for me, preacher. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. It's fine. Raise your hand. It's fine. God bless you. Let's pray this prayer together. If you, if you raise your hand, you pray this prayer with me. And everybody else, let's join in and help them. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I pray that you come into my life and make me new. I believe in Jesus today. I believe he died for my sins. And I ask that my old life be made new. That I become a new creature right now. As I believe Jesus rose from the dead. As he rose, I'm rising now. I will follow you, Lord. I'm turning my back on the world, the flesh, and the devil. I turn to you, Jesus. I'm yours. And I believe I will never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rejoice a little while. Praise God. <laughs>